Good evening, you are listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I'm your host, Rob Zachney, welcoming you once again to the winter of wargaming. I am joined by our elite, irregular panelist, Dr. Bruce Garrick. Hello, gamers. And uh, today, we are journeying back to the Stone Age that was Bruce's childhood Hmm. to play uh, 1970s Panzerblitz. Uh, mm-hmm. designed by Jim Dunnigan. And Bruce, I, I wanted to turn it over to you here uh, because I think it's fair to say that Panzerblitz is near the start of that wave of like iconic Avalon Hill war games, but I think it is also the one that tends to not be played a whole bunch today, even by those standards, and uh, is maybe viewed as more foundational than an active game. That's been my impression of it. I, you know, before, mm-hmm. prior to researching for the show, I have seen that box a million times. Mm-hmm. I have never played it. Mm-hmm. Uh, where does where, where where did Panzerblitz exist in its own time, and where does it kind of reside in the war game space now? Okay, well, <clears throat> I have to say that uh, I have to upfront say that I did not experience Panzerblitz in its original form because that was uh, the game came out in 1970, and I was. Uh, three years old. So I picked it up about seven years later, maybe eight years later, a 78, 77, 78, 79, uh, <clears throat> as a, you know, young sort of teenager, um, before teenage years. And it was to me, to us then it was very, it seemed very realistic. It seemed very, uh, I don't know what to call it. It, it was just a revelation in terms of uh, playing board games, right? And I think that part of that, and I think the part of what the the game uh, milieu at the time was, was that there weren't a lot of tactical games of this type. Uh, lots of the games had NATO symbols. That was sort of the, um, you know, Avalon Hill Classics, the Stalingrads, the Africa Corps, the D-Day, bulge everything had units that had zones of control and that was kind of this uh you know anywhere from you know grand tactical to operational i mean waterloo was a a sort of grand tactical and then you had the operational level games like d-day and i don't think you really had the tactical um the tactical uh opportunities or, or or breadth of gaming that you do today. But I think that another thing that was really sort of uh, revelatory about this game was just that it, it tried to present things, not just as a bunch of symbols, but it actually had things like it, it, this sounds silly to say these days, but it sounds uh, elementary, but these things had tank silhouettes on them. And that was a big deal, right? The fact that you could, people who were really, into you know armored warfare and history could actually play a game where their uh pieces had these armored silhouettes and that was that was really different um and i think it 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 was very attractive to people at that time it was almost like you're playing with little miniatures uh today of course that would be i mean it's ludicrous to to think that and the the tactical games have um sort of much more much flashier counters but all those things put together uh you had you had these geomorphic map boards that you could put in any sort of configuration so you had you had three maps but you could set them all in these different configurations and have what seemed like infinite scenarios all these things were uh were different and new and exciting at the time yeah and i think one of the things that jumped out at me is i sort of worked through the uh designer's notes and the instructions for it is this is a game that certainly in its intentions and how it's presenting itself to its audience is trying to make a case for itself as uh, simulational as mm-hmm. as a good model of like company to battalion level uh combat on the mm-hmm. eastern front mm-hmm. um but at the same time it is a very simple game and mm-hmm. i think if you you know, so for me, I think the first war game I ever played, visually very similar to this, uh, would be Squad Leader. Mm-hmm. But uh, 
in terms of rules, it's a night and day situation when you compare the two rule sets. Uh, because if you if you are getting into squad leader, kind of right out of the gate, every single part of the game, first of all, there's a lot more phases. Turn structures are very, compared to this, very complicated. Mm-hmm. Here, this is very much, uh, in some ways, a game that I think, some of its conventions translate almost more easily to modern PC games, for instance, because this is very much a game where it's like units either move or they shoot. That's it. Mm-hmm. That's that's the fundamental tactical choice you make at the start of your turn. Right. It also uh, doesn't have any real capacity for the enemy to react during your move. It is a right. complete I go, you go mm-hmm. with with zero attempt to try and say that like, okay, well, some of these things are happening simultaneously. That doesn't exist in that game, in, in this game. And before we get into all the weird things that introduces, it does make for a very snappy, fast playing, easy game to manage. And I think if you compare like going back to the squad leader example, squad leader, as you progress into more scenarios, squad leader, uh, loves to start changing the rules Mm -hmm. on you a little bit, introducing new cases, new things to bear in mind. This is very much like it lays down a very simple rule set, gives you a limited run of scenarios and kind of turns you loose. But with the caveat that all of this is realistic world war two combat, right? Never mind that units can't react to (laughs) units can't react to each other. Uh, and, and so in, in yeah. some ways, like uh-huh. it's hang on, I just have to bribe my dog real quick. Just that I had this little Mina, Mina. Hey, hey, what's this? What's this? What's this? Are you going to be quiet? Are you going to be a quiet little girl? Oh, now you're quiet. Now you're a good girl. Yeah, good girl. She's very good at finding just the perfect pitch to just demolish uh, coherent thought. Um, it's it's really quite an achievement. So I think compared to a lot of war games that mm-hmm. I've encountered that were published after this, this has a very easy onboarding process. I think the costs for that begin to come into view uh, as you begin realizing that there are certain things that are not very intuitive mm-hmm. about this game because they run contrary to common sense, but they are artifacts of the rules. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that does begin to introduce, introduce a sort of conceptual dissonance that I think a lot of other war games try to solve by making a rule set that feels roughly mm-hmm. authentic to what we think is happening on the map. Like, let me, let me posit this. Anytime, a lot of times you're when you're playing a war game, there's the set of rules that exist, and there's the game you're playing on the board. And then for me, at least, there's the imagined war movie playing out underneath all that. Yeah, I think that's a case for many people. Yeah. That second thing is an illusion. Mm-hmm. Like, that doesn't exist. That is a thing you are projecting out of what the rules and the the, the board and the, the little chits are, are sort of conjuring. But nevertheless, it is a thing that is existing in your head as you as you play games like. Well, this. you're making a philosophical statement about the nature of imagination, which I would argue it's no. I mean, it's very real. That war movie, your imagination is is as real as 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 long as you perceive it that way, you've created it. But it has. But it, but, I mean that's fair. Except, I would also say. The mistake comes when you begin making decisions based on what you see in your head mm-hmm. in that war movie mm-hmm. versus what the game supports okay. and how the game sees that reality. Yep. I, I, and I think Panzer, I agree with you. And I think a lot of war games try to close the gap between those two things. Yes, yeah, they do. Right? Um, I think when... Um, is the name of the game just Dien Bien Phu? Uh, Kim Congers? That's the uh, final gamble. The final gamble. Yeah. Like, I think, you know, when you and I played a few turns of that, mm-hmm. the thing I'm seeing in my head, I'm constantly sort of delighted by how well the rules dovetail mm-hmm. with that, uh, right. where it's like, oh, I can sort of see the uh, Viet Minh infiltrating my lines. Mm-hmm. Right. 
and there they go like right. in the game they're infiltrating my lines and i can't really right. do anything about it right um here they are overrunning my bastions right and at every turn the rules are kind of reinforcing like if it feels like this is what is happening that is indeed in terms of game mechanics what is happening right i think in panzer blitz the trade-off is that you can just get in there and start making things happen right out of the, the gate. You know, you got panzers zipping around mm-hmm. a very simple uh, mm-hmm. moves uh, uh, map. Yep. Um, people have huge, huge movement factors right. so that colossal amounts of ground can be covered in a single turn. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the same time, once battle is joined, you start having more and more things that just feel weird yep. if you're trying to relate them to anything that is happening in a common sense understanding of uh what a battle would look like right i i don't i can't disagree with any of that uh the fact that the game sort of uh argues that it's going to teach you something about in a uh, doctrinal sense is kind of silly i mean you have these you have what essentially are are uh platoons and companies that are um that are moving in complete uh disregard of any sort of command structure right i mean you can send some tanks up to the north of this map and then just automatically just have them come back uh it's it's a it's a it's very gamey the game is very gamey and i think that people react against this gaminess um you know this the this got republished as Panzer Blitz Two uh, by Multiman Publishing. I don't know. I want to say like two thousand and eight, nine, ten, something like that. Uh, they did a uh, like something something Panzer Blitz Hill of Death. It, it was it was interesting because what they did was they tried to take historical terrain and put this game on top of it, which I find a little odd since. That to me would do exactly what you're saying, which would separate the imaginative war movie even more from what was actually going on on the map, because you have this detailed, uh, accurate terrain of, oh, that the that the battle was fought over, and now you're jumping from tree to tree, preventing the enemy from you know shooting at you. I don't recall if that had the the uh, I think it had the opportunity fire from uh, from Panzer leader uh, in Arab Israeli wars. You know that that's the that's the solution that you have to to these problems, right? Is that you just layer on more rules and put on more rules. And I think think advanced squad leader proves that you can layer on all the rules you want, but they just it bends reality in a different way. I mean, nobody's going to argue that advanced squad leader is some kind of really accurate. Um, really accurate depiction of, of infantry combat. I mean, you have these scenarios where one of the best things to do is to just line all your guys up on the very edge of the map board and just kind of run through these half hexes to some point, because that's the, you know, you, you create an artificial framework and an, an intelligent gamers, competitive gamer is going to bend that framework to the point that he or she feels is sufficient to win, right? So so just adding more rules doesn't necessarily fix these problems. Um, but we were able to play quite a few turns in a relatively short period of time, and we both felt engaged, right? It's not one of these games where there are, uh, you know, 500 units, and I've got to move 400 of them before you do anything. And so, you know, you go off and, and make a sandwich and, you know, watch a an episode of Expanse and then come back and you're like, are you done? No, I'm still moving. Okay. I'm going to do something else. So you, I mean, I, did you feel engaged in that game? Yeah, I did. Uh, particularly like, especially once you are in the swing of things, Mm -hmm. the turn length begins to decrease in some ways because like Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. units die very quickly in this game and it turns into a bit more of a knife fight feeling. And so, um, yeah, after the initial moves, we were moving our full forces around in the initial sort of jockeying for position phase. It turned very quickly. And I think, again, I think that decision at the top level to just say mm-hmm. there, you can fire or you can move. Um, it also just cuts down on the amount of right. thinking you really even can do uh, on your turn where you're just sort of sitting there and you're like, 
I do not want these like a lot of other war game systems. As you add mm-hmm. granularity to fire tables, to uh, you add more modifiers. The list of possibilities you have to contemplate mm-hmm. just begins to increase, um, right? You know, by factors of three or four uh, as you're sort of sitting there. This game cuts all of that away. Like your unit's in a bad position. Uh, it's not like you can say, well, what's the next hex I can move it to and then fire immediately. You can't like, you just right. have to think about where am I going to park this guy next? Um, and so it, it does have like, there are war games I've really enjoyed that do have that feeling of, well, Bruce is making his turn. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go walk away. Mm-hmm. And like mm-hmm. stare out the window or, or pet the cats mm-hmm. or yeah, or snack uh, and vice versa where I'll be sitting there. I'll be like, oh, Bruce is probably oh, I've been I've been thinking about this move for a long time. Poor Bruce. He's just sitting there waiting for me to commit this move. Um, this game, you know, very quickly gets you into a almost speed chest like rhythm of just panzers are brewing up right and left. Um, you know, units are dying like flies, mm-hmm. uh, but it's. It moves along at a very good pace, and I think that is, especially compared to a lot of war games that you play that come after this that are more advanced, it is kind of surprising yeah, how much. I agree. That I think it's a, you know. I think a lot of the snappiness uh, now is done because uh, other mechanics are are being used, such as um, you know, there's a lot of card play, or. Um, you you simplify the mechanics to the point where mm-hmm. a lot of things are abstracted. Uh, I mean, that's that's the not snap. I mean, abstract mechanics don't guarantee snappiness. I mean, you and I both know of you know many euros where the abstraction leads to a sort of analysis paralysis where uh, you're you have three different choices, but you have to analyze them each like twenty steps. You know ahead because they have what you do right the second is going to cascade so many turns forward that you it's not really very snappy right so i think that this this reaches that sort of level of um immediacy of decision making where the stuff that you do really does um does not have long-term consequences, except in some cases. For example, positioning of certain weapons. Like, well, let's let's talk. We played uh, we played Panzer Blitz Scenario Seven. I was the Germans, you were the Russians. Um, this is sort of a meeting engagement where we just sort of enter the map and then we kind of scatter and try to get as many units onto them. There are three maps. I come in the west, you come in the east, <clears throat> and then there's a map in the middle where we're each trying to just. Uh, get as many units onto that middle map as possible. And that middle map has a central hill and there's a town. And of course, in towns, you can't be uh, fired at unless you're spotted. So that's a good position. But then I have these, I have this sort of uh, mobile artillery that I've positioned on a different hilltop and I'm using it to sort of hose down the um, the hilltop that the town is on so that limits your ability to move there and you you have to stay hidden uh, either in the forest uh, that's north of the town or in the town itself. And so <clears throat> you decided you would move some tanks to try to deal with my um, with my artillery threat, my support. You wanted to cut my support out from under me so that, uh, and that would have really kind of, I think that would have really hurt me. So Talk about the sort of the decision making there, because that was that seems to be uh, one of those higher level decisions where uh, it's not just move or attack, but you've got to plan something, you know, a few moves in advance. Yeah, I think. um, So one of the issues, uh, Mm -hmm. let me talk through how this game works a little bit. If you haven't played it, Uh, one of the issues is that. Bruce had set up this artillery park uh, on a smaller hill mm-hmm. on a different boards. So they weren't these these units weren't counting toward his victory. Um, we were kind of at a stalemate, and I was kind of sitting there wondering. I do kind of wonder what had happened if I had just decided to post up and wait, try to wait in those woods. Uh, I am kind of curious uh, what mm-hmm. the dynamics would have been if we if, if I just sort of gone maximally passive. And I think the game does drive this a little bit because. Your mm-hmm. units were sitting on this other hill on a different board, but they're all in trees. And again, in that visual, in that imaginative space, 
where these units are on your your mm-hmm. position in the the theater of the mind in this war movie that's playing out. Right. All these units are mm-hmm. sort of sitting at the edge of a tree mm-hmm. line and just blasting away at this hill that they can see. But as far as the rules are concerned, mm-hmm. nobody can shoot back because their their concealment is perfect. Uh, they they can't be targeted. And this is this is true across the board. So a unit in town cannot be fired at unless it is spotted. Uh, mm-hmm. There is no differentiation mm-hmm. between class of units, uh, depending on what kind of cover. So a tank can hide inside the tree line as easily as an AT gun. Um, in either case, a unit has to be adjacent to reveal it to other mm-hmm. units that have a line of sight on that hex. So I had kind of a problem. You had all this artillery mm-hmm. jammed into this uh, forested hilltop. And I had driven a lot of tanks on this sort of circuitous route um, around the map. And I kind of had my own like little tank farm parked in this road uh, that was lined by trees. So you couldn't see them. And if you tried to come out after those tanks, you would have been at the disadvantage because, because this is a game where there's no moving mm-hmm. and shooting. And there are no smoke mm-hmm. rounds. There's 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 really no hiding from any of this. Mm-hmm. If you are approaching a unit that is sort of in a defensive crouch, you will have to sustain mm-hmm. a round of just unanswerable fire. Uh, your units that have closed the distance to engage mm-hmm. are just going to have to ride out uh, being shot at. So I basically had to try to just bum rush uh, this artillery park, and I try to even focus on one like narrow point of uh, of, of the attack. It was sort of uh, there, there was sort of a, mm-hmm. a, a prominence on the hill that I tried to gang up on, and I thought I had done a decent job of sort of both avoiding the line of fire from some other artillery units in in this area, because again, this is also a game where. Um, I think a lot of other mm-hmm. games, you're, you've probably internalized some rock, paper, scissors logic where, um, you know, a mobile mm-hmm. artillery unit, that's not a very good anti-tank weapon. That's, mm-hmm. you know, th- those aren't going to be winning tanks, tank slugging mm-hmm. matches. This game doesn't really draw that distinction. Um, you know, if you if, if, if a uh, Wespa self-propelled mm-hmm. artillery gun encounters a T-34, it'll just shoot it with its big mm-hmm. old cannon. And the T-34 will explode because that cannon is so big. Um, And so this artillery Mm -hmm. in itself was some of the deadliest armor on the board. And so I tried to cut the line of sight. So I was only focusing on one part of this hill Mm -hmm. and the attack kind of, you're trying to take up my Hummel. Yeah. Not a figurine. And the attack fell apart Mm -hmm. in part because uh, what I had not fully internalized was that units you had in the forested valley between the main, the central hilltop that I kind of controlled and mm-hmm. the smaller hilltop where you had your artillery, you had mm-hmm. stashed a bunch of um, stugs and AT guns and some panzers. Mm-hmm. But crucially, they were all at a remove, I thought, from my mm-hmm. armor. Uh, and I mm-hmm. thought, well, it doesn't looking at it visually, I'm not sure you can shoot through all like you will have those things drawing through multiple forest hexes as I go mm-hmm. up this hill. Mm-hmm. I'm probably good, but that's mm-hmm. not how the line of sight rules work. The line of sight no. rules are very simple. Again, that snappy play thing. If you have the experience right. of playing other war games, you know that one of the worst things that can happen is that you start getting really granular line of sight rules mm-hmm. as they try to model. Um, I don't know what the, what the right way to describe it is, but if you have a target, if you have a target hex and mm-hmm. a hex where, where someone's firing, the picture the shooter has of the target will change based on where relative to those two positions, some obstructions are current. Right. They're trying so. to, they, they just, they build trigonometry into the game, basically, right? Yeah. They basically take an, an arbitrary 
uh, obstacle height. And then they, they decide whether that obstacle obstructs sight by its uh, relationship to the firer and, and target in that triangle, right? So, uh, you know, you'll see a lot of games where <clears throat> they say, you know, if the if the ground level obstacle is uh, closer to the firer than to the target, uh, then in, in the, the target is on a, you know, level one hill and the firer is on the ground and the obstacle is closer to the firer than the target, uh, then the line of sight is blocked because they've created, you know, that they they dis- arbitrarily decided that's going to be the height of the obstacle for, uh, you know, trigonometric purposes. And then you have, uh, you know, obstacles that are twice that height and then hills can be twice. I mean, a squad leader does that, you know, pretty, tries to be pretty rigorous about that. But here, all it said was, if you are on a slope or a hilltop, and the fire is on the ground, the only time woods block the line of sight is if the firer is directly behind a dark green hexide. So basically they're right behind, you know, they're right in the woods. Um, otherwise, you can see over them if they're a remove of one hex or more, which is another reason that as you, you brought up, you know, they're not really trees, they're bushes. Well, I mean, the game has had the epithet ascribed to it of Panzerbush because not only that reason, but also the fact that, you know, you just kind of ran from tree to tree, uh, avoiding spotting, right? So it was, it was all about being in the bushes. So, um, so what happened with your attack was that the, you know, I knew that anybody that got adjacent to my, uh, artillery on that slope would be in range of those guns, which is why I put them there. Uh, and so when you did the rush, I was like, okay, um, I'll hit this guy with this guy and this guy and this guy. And, what, and all we needed to do was we just needed to clear, or I needed to do, what the Germans needed to do was clear the hexes that were adjacent to the artillery because their artillery was in the woods. So as long as there was nobody adjacent to the artillery, the artillery wasn't spotted. So I just had to to get a combination of, of rounds uh, attack factors against your different hexes that eliminated the adjacent units. And then the problem was solved. And then you'd have to recreate the problem again by putting guys adjacent and I would have to shoot them. So, um, you know, like, like we had discussed when we were kind of debriefing the game, you know, there are ways to fix that, which are to, uh, you know, attack with more units and give, because at, at some point you overwhelm the number of firers that I have and all you really need to do is get one one of those tanks adjacent to the artillery because the artillery has a defense, you know, some really uh, low defense strength. Uh, I think I think the Hummels was actually a six, and the the basic T thirty fours are twelve. And uh, adjacent fire, actually anything under uh, half range, is going to be doubled, so you'd be firing twenty four to six. And four to ones in this game are automatic kills unless you are in the woods. You get the plus one modifier rules, and so five out of six times. Uh, a single T thirty four is gonna is gonna knock that Hummel out uh, from adjacent, even if the Hummel's in the woods. So, um, so there are ways to do that, but that sort of part of the uh, German order of battle is there for that particular for that exact reason, right? I mean, the the, the Soviets have more units, uh, the Germans have fewer units, but they have this sort of artillery support, um, and then you know go for it. And, and, and what I think we ended up calling the game was when, uh, I broke up that, that initial attack. And, uh, I think that the game itself was very snappy. Uh, there was, there was a lot of engagement in it, right? You didn't, there wasn't a lot of, uh, thinking and wondering and you just, at some point you're like, oh, I have to move these units and these units and these units, but it goes pretty fast. Um, and it's a, I mean, it's a really good head to head face to face game, uh, but it's a game just like all these things are. And it, for some people, it's not going to, uh, it's not going to meet the threshold for their suspension of disbelief. Yeah. I think, um, a game we've been playing a lot over on the, uh, through his head discord has been steel division. Mm -hmm. Two. I've been playing both steel division games and, 
weird games uh the fun games uh kind of a weird developer in in a lot of ways they just released a um uh like a um what's his name ernest rudel ernest rudel uh, yeah the stuka pilot Hans rudel hans yeah. rudel hans rudel yes, hans released rudel. like a they just released a Hans yeah. Rudolph like character in the game okay. uh, so that you can you can have Hans Rudolph flying around destroying T-34s awesome. and uh, not creating a pipeline of Nazi war criminals <laughs> to South America. That is that is not modeled. In Interesting. Game. Yeah. yeah but um, the but the, the point is, though, uh, in terms of like how these things mm-hmm. feel in some ways, what this anticipates is not other board mm-hmm. games, other board mm-hmm. games. This doesn't actually feel very much like most like uh tabletop mm-hmm. or hex grid type mm-hmm. war games you and I have played in mm-hmm. person d- in terms of feel doesn't actually have a whole lot of overlap with those in terms of feel has a lot of overlap with these sort of snappy RTS approaches to world war two that we've been playing a bit more of, but even there they have things like concealment and cutting line of sight. Mm-hmm. And like they have a lot of hidden factors, right. but just in terms of, I like pushing these units around mm-hmm. Um, they are really there to let you do that, um, without having to analyze a state of play over much where I think a lot of war games, as they sort of layer in a bit more complexity and a bit more of trying to make all this combat feel authentic in some ways, uh, the, the cost for that is, exacted in terms of just the overall amount of things that need to be factored in uh, each turn. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I don't think it's, I I can, I don't think these are unsolvable problems. Certainly other people have uh, solved them. Uh, But I, I do kind of wonder how many other war games. Let me ask you this. How many other war games are able to maintain uh, this sense of like snappy uh, engaging play while also maybe satisfying a bit more of that desire for an intuitive or vivid uh, rule set. Well, I mean, there, there are a lot of sort of, uh, well, it depends. I mean, I mean <clears throat> are you talking about Cause the thing that I want to make, make sure we, we uh, get across is that tactical wargaming is a bit more uh it's kind of its own thing much more so than you know operational strategic gaming where those things share uh they they share a sort of different conceit or understanding of how the game is going how the 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 informational space is laid out than tactical games and i think tactical games um are always sort of a little bit more. They try. They need. They try to be more representational. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you you can't really represent a. You know, a Panzer division is a, is a a symbol on a map. A tank is a tank, and the uh, the tactical war games that uh, you see out there. I think many <clears throat> still try to strip away uh, um, a lot of complexity while still maintaining certain things that don't break the immersion. Have you played uh, Conflict of Heroes? I think Julian was a big fan of that game. Yeah, I think I've played a bit of that, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that also is a fairly straightforward game, but it's. I feel that that game has, even at the level that that game plays, there's a lot more to the rule set. Um I don't, there are games where uh, people take away a a lot of the representational aspect and make it very abstract. Um, But still, I mean, I think the rule sets get pretty convoluted. Um, Upfront was one of those where they tried to, uh, you know, have everything play as, as, uh, you know, this, this abstract uh, distance from each other. you know, card play thing. Um, I mean, then there's, there's the, the, you know, heroes of Normandy kind of Mm -hmm. stuff. Um, Undaunted Normandy uh, is another one. Um, But these are all games I think that are trying to, they're deliberately trying to peel away some complexity in order to, um, to make for 
a more easily playable game. I feel like Panzer Blitz at the time wasn't necessarily trying to peel away complexity. That was just part of the the complexity at, in 1970 was, I mean, we didn't have monster games. I mean, we didn't have all these crazy things. I mean, Squad Leader hadn't come out yet. Um, I think Third Reich had come out yet. Uh, Third Reich, I think, was 74. I mean, this we're getting, this is, an, this is really an evolutionary state of, of complexity uh, acceleration, right? We're getting, we're getting more and more complex games, and this is where gaming was in 1970 in terms of trying to make things complex. Nobody was, I don't think people were trying to, were trying to soften this in any way. This is just where things were. And now in retrospect, it seems really snappy and and fast, but I don't think that that was necessarily the primary takeaway that people had. Oh, compared to all these other complex games, this is really snappy. I mean, Africa Core, to be honest with you, is a pretty snappy game. I mean, there are only so many units. I mean, it's a very low-density game. Uh, turns, I think, move pretty fast, um, but it's a different kind of thinking. Panzer Blitz is a completely other kind of thinking. And, Afri- and Africa Corps, right, is that's 1960—gosh, I don't know when that was, 65? It was it was it was one of the Avalon whole classics, so it's yeah. got to be it's got to be a '60s game. But I, I I don't I used to have that all stored away in my memory, and I don't. But I think this is an interesting state of state of the game development. Now, you know, right after this came out came Panzer Leader, where they tried to solve some of the problems uh, of uh, this is Eastern Front. They went to the Western Front and tried to make a a game where. You had opportunity fire and the ability to, you know, they try to try to uh, ameliorate some of the Panzerbush tactics. Uh, and how did they do that? They just <laughs> made the, the rule book was, you know, two to three times longer, right? At least. Yeah. Much more complex game. Yeah, and that's and that's the thing. It doesn't take long before you like you can look at any of these factories and it starts getting uh, much more complicated. The, um, you know, one of the things we sort of ended up uh, running to a lot was like. The stacking rules are very clear and very simple. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It's just Germans can stack three, Russians can stack two. That's it. That's mm-hmm. that's those are your stacking rules. Enjoy. Yep. Um, and that's very different than a lot of other games that start trying to almost have this like encumbrance mechanic where it's like, well, okay, but what all what all is in that hex? Mm-hmm. Um, road movement is real simple. It imagines every unit is taking up the full width of the road. And so units moving in road column uh, all have to sort of move in sequence uh, in road column. They can't, they, they're not transparent to each other on that road. Mm-hmm. Um, uh-huh. And mm-hmm. so it, it, it does have little elements of, uh, you know, friction, but everything is very, is very minimal uh, in that, in that regard. But I think about how much more I was thinking about how much more friction there is to movement in a lot of other war games I've played. And again, I, I, I keep coming back to squad later because it was such a foundational like it was such a foundational game for me where like. Mm-hmm. Squad leader is a game that really wants you to be parsing every single move you make with your units. Like what is your Mm -hmm. current, what is the cover you're in now? What is its value? What will you be exposing Mm -hmm. yourself to as you move in terms of opportunity Mm -hmm. fire? Uh, Mm -hmm. What is the cover you want to get to? And so Mm -hmm. like one of the things in squad leader is that early on, you don't necessarily, you're not necessarily made afraid Mm -hmm. of move, but the name of the game is not, Hey, Mm -hmm. like, race around the map mm-hmm. uh execute huge sweeping flanks and things like that that is not what that that game is um here it very much is you know you you've been mentioning panzerbush tactics and to a degree this game does kind of imagine all of this as mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. armored units in particular are like sports cars in this mm-hmm. game um the board is pretty transparent to anything with wheels or treads and right. it can just sort of zip mm-hmm. around dismounted infantry 
basically immobile. This right. is the trade-off. Like squad leader, mm-hmm. infantry can move. Mm-hmm. It's sort of an infantry-focused mm-hmm. game, so it's about like being able to bounce from house to house. It's street fighting is where its focus really is. Uh, right. Here, infantry gets parked in a field, and that's kind of where they're just going to be stuck. But tanks can go anywhere. I think this also mm-hmm. points to. This game has a scale that it purports to exist at. Again, I said it's like a company battalion level. And the rules are kind of telling you this. Like I think mm-hmm. it even says, mm-hmm. like, oh yeah, each rule is like each move, each move is like uh, like 20 minutes of combat thereabouts or something like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if you think about that, that's absurd. That is not how this game feels at all. And it sort of dawned on me as I was playing it that in terms of how the game feels versus the war movie in my head, mm-hmm. as I start to contemplate it more and more, I don't have an idea mm-hmm. of what happens, what is happening because the tanks are zipping around mm-hmm. very, very mm-hmm. quickly. But in that same period of time, infantry can't go anywhere at all. Um, and then also at the same time, tanks are like enormously vulnerable to infantry yeah, overrun attacks, yeah. which are shockingly effective uh, in this game. Yes. Right. And so the game sort of starts to exist in this kind of odd space where in in a turn you have mm-hmm. things that it certainly feels like a squad of guys overrunning and running mm-hmm. an isolated tank. But the game is right. explicitly trying to tell you, well, actually, you know, these are big units and these are, you know, these are larger scale units fighting on this macro level battlefield. Uh, and so it just turns into it, it turns into a game where like mm-hmm. it has its purported theme, but in terms of how it feels, I don't think it supports it uh, very effectively. And you do end up with this weird artifact where really the name of the game hmm. is um, mm-hmm. almost like paintball mm-hmm. with tanks in some ways. They bounce mm-hmm. around the map, mm-hmm. hiding from each other, jockeying into different cover positions. Cover is very simple. Um, and they all just try to get into a position where like either somebody has to <laughs> basically it's a, it's like right. a multiplayer match full of campers in some ways. The tanks want to park right. and get into a good camping position and notch easy kills as someone approaches. Right. Um, mm-hmm. and the way it all unfolds right. is because the tanks can just kind of scoot wherever they want, um, at mm-hmm. any time. And it's very funny because yeah. almost no other war game that I've played makes movement so trivial. It like every mm-hmm. other war game adds a lot of friction to this notion of being able to move mm-hmm. around and Panzer blitz. I think maybe this mm-hmm. is the way it truly lives up to its name. Uh, They're just skating around out there. Um, Like you're playing Madden yeah. with tanks. I, I, I can't disagree with that. I mean, I think it, it, uh, the, the scale, I, th- I think the scale is kind of, is kind of ludicrous. I mean, if you really think about what's happening with some of the infantry, like you have a, a, a platoon of tanks that just gets completely, uh, you know, torched by, you know, two companies of infantry. Uh, it's a little, I mean, it's, it's a little odd, uh, some of the results that you get. Um, but, uh, but Hey, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it, it, it does that. And then it also gives a, a very satisfying sort of, uh, back and forth, um, feel to sort of a competitive game. And I think that that's, that's what we really liked when we were kids is that, that, you know, I had my tanks and he had his tanks and, and, uh, and that you got kind of attached to the individual ones, not so much in that va- it's interesting in Vassal at the, the, everything you kind of squinting at it, um, on the actual map that you were making this comment that the, that the, they were sort of a, an amalgam of factors on, on Vassal. And I'm afraid that that, that is true, but on, in it, the tactile, physical game uh there's even an article as i recall there was something like the pieces of panzer blitz that uh you know it just sort of went through them all i think it was in the gamer's guide because you know this 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 of course uh, uh generate a lot of literature and i think that you uh, i think i may, may have sent you a uh, an article from uh, the general from a while back where somebody they basically did a double blind double blind panzer blitz was one of these uh, things that people like to do yeah and i sent you an article that was uh basically somebody writing up sort of like a fan fiction aar of of their double blind uh double blind panzer blitz scenario and you know it, it the the pieces of panzer blitz thing in the same way, made it very, I don't know, somehow tangible, personal. You sort of saw each um, unit in it, in its own as it fit into your general um, 
order of battle. There's, <clears throat> there was uh, one I still remember, and it's a, a joke between a friend of mine uh, and me that um, uh, that went something along the lines of they were they were going through all the pieces and and they were getting to the, the uh, artillery and the Hummel. I think is the has the high, biggest uh, attack factor of any unit in the game, and and uh, it lists listed all of its uh, advantages. And then uh, under the uh, effects, it was something like, you know, if, if you, how, how bad do you, uh, how badly do you suffer if you lose this piece? And the, uh, the comment there was, Gott ein Hummel, uh, German may resign. So uh, it's it, it just, you had the, the, there were stakes to it in, in a sense. I don't know how to put that other in a different way, but um, that's how it felt when we were when we were young and playing this game. That each each unit was its you know you had your tigers, and then when the tiger went up, then that was that was a big loss. And um, you know, it's kind of funny. I think also though, you and I are like we've now been conditioned to play these games, but also we're just kind of looking at what the r- rules are throwing up in terms of results. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I can see. So when I was playing my first games, uh, just sort of by myself. Mm-hmm. There might be something to that notion of like having it on the map, you you forge a different connection. But I was playing the the the, the first scenario, which is mm-hmm. kind of a um, it's like somewhere in Bagration or something. But mm-hmm. really, it's just oh my god, it's a sleepy German command post that's being overrun out of nowhere mm-hmm. by like mm-hmm. uh, Russian uh, cavalry and right. armor, mm-hmm. and it turns in this total like melee. Um, mm-hmm. But at the time, one of the things that was happening was it was really dramatic because the Germans had some pillboxes and those mm-hmm. are just unbreakable mm-hmm. without just an astonishing amount of firepower. Like mm-hmm. you really mm-hmm. do just need to blast the ever living hell mm-hmm. out of these bunkers. Um, and so I started sitting there and I was like, wow, this is felt pretty dicey for the German player, but here come mm-hmm. the Russians. We've been amassed. They're charging up the hill. And I think at some point, one or two turns into this, I was like, this is incredible. My God, mm-hmm. what a, like, this is just a heroic stand happening. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. units are shattering. Right. Um, like, the, there's carnage on the slopes. Mm-hmm. These Russians and Germans are scrapping it out point blank. About three turns later, the front hadn't really moved. Like, units mm-hmm. kept dispersing and undispersing because yes. nobody yep. could land the killing blow. Yep. Because this is the thing where it's like, there is no really attritional process to bring units down. Like you either mm-hmm. follow up quickly with a kill shot mm-hmm. or those guys just sort of snap back to being good to go the next round. Right. And so if a unit is in cover and you have like 50, 50 odds of even landing a hit and mm-hmm. usually a hit means dispersal, mm-hmm. uh, then you're like, okay, well I need to hit them with a follow-up attack too. If I, now if I get another hit, they right. will be wiped out. Yeah, you want the you want the special the DD the double dispersed yeah yeah to, that 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 uh, kills the dispersed unit. But the problem is that one usually you've kind of shot you're, you've taken your best shot with that opening fire round like there's mm-hmm. no real follow up fire right like close assault tactics happen in a different phase in the turn mm-hmm. but there isn't actually a lot to support this notion of like he's wounded boys bring him down like this, this right. game does not work work that way right. and so i think after like after three or four turns of like watching a really dynamic stalemate unfold mm-hmm. where like every turn different units were just blasting the hell out mm-hmm. of each other mm-hmm. but like over the course of that match, I started to realize, like, I don't. When's the last time anybody died? Right. When's the last time anything actually mm-hmm. happened? The answer was it hadn't. Right. And it was a bit fluky because of roles, but also mm-hmm. it was just because of the way the game tends to, like, because of these draconian spotting rules. And mm-hmm. like, every time a spotter unit gets killed, you kind of got to take a turn to move someone else into yeah. the sacrificial mm-hmm. position. Um, it was interesting because on one hand, I could totally see if you're not sort of thinking about it like, hey, what's this game actually doing? What's it actually mm-hmm. what's actually happening here? What's happening in terms of like the rules and what the mechanics are driving? If you don't think of it that way, for, the war movie in my head was spectacular. The minute right. I four turns in, I was like, OK, something should be dead. Like, so like, I feel like something there should be movement on this front. Um, mm-hmm. And the answer was uh, partly that I'd misplayed the Russians and uh, a, a single 88 had just blown up a bunch of the um, heavy weapons. The Russians needed to bust those bunkers. Got it. Uh, but, but the other part of it was just, this is just how this game is where it's like, 
units can make these heroic stands because they're just in the right position and they get just even a little bit lucky on rolls. Um, very hard to kill them. And yeah. I can see where like Panzer Blitz becomes an amazing narrative generator. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're sitting there sort of playing with friends, you're not thinking about it as like, how is this, how does this rule set work? But once you do step back from it a little bit, you do have more of that second order reaction of like, this is getting a little silly. Mm-hmm. No, I think all tactical games have, have a, <clears throat> any, any good tactical game should be a great narrative generator. If it's not, then it's not a good tactical game. Uh, it's a little, a little less, uh, it's a little harder to generate a narrative around some, you know, abstract, you know, 12th core uh, you can do it. I mean, it, 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 if the if the overall scenario and, and situation is constructed right, I mean, yeah, you will get it. But but tactical games are just about, you know, oh, this tank blew up that tank. This tank blew up 10 tanks, right? I mean, that that's what it's all about. And it's going to be a little, uh, it's going to be a little wonky if you really start thinking about it too hard. But that, I don't know that, I, I don't know that you, you want to think about these things too hard if you're enjoying them, right? I mean, I, I certainly had plenty of times when I played these games and just we loved it. It was it was a, an interesting social and competitive experience. And I don't, I mean, it got frustrating when when somebody drove their Panzer directly across. You know, you're, you're in you're in a uh, you're in one woods. You drive your Panzer ten hexes directly in front of some, you know, line of T-34s, you're completely immune to them because you're moving and, and, and it's your movement phase. And then you park yourself in a woods hex, 10 hexes on the opposite side of them. And there's, st- and now there's, they're in the exactly same position. You're, you're, you're not adjacent to them and they can't see you, uh, because you're not spotted and you can just do this, you know, jumping from, from, from woods to woods. Now the opportunity fire does really change the game. And it does slow it down. So uh, there's a lot more um, consideration, right? As soon as you have to uh, introduce that uh, thought of, well, if I leave this hex into that hex, who has line of sight to it? Who's going to shoot me? It turns into, you know, it turns into much more, much more squad leader sort of trade-offs uh, scenario. And and is that worth the, is that worth the, um, is that, Increase in verisimilitude, in a sense, worth the slowdown in game tempo. I don't know. It's, it's probably different for every person who plays it. Yeah, I think um, it's it's a strange thing because I can easily imagine us, like the next time we're able to hang out, me mm-hmm. being like, yeah, you know, let's just, you know, it's late. I don't want to think too hard. Let's bust out Panzer Blitz. We can just yeah. do this right now. I mean, mm-hmm. this, is, this is a game that, and this is actually valuable. This is a game that I do not think you'd be crazy to start at 9 p.m. at night um, right. when you're hanging out and mm-hmm. like a, maybe just a little bit sleepy or a little right. bit buzzed or something. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's wild to say like, hey, let's let's put Panzer Blitz out. I completely because, agree with you. Yeah. And there's a need for that. Like there remains a need for that. I think, mm-hmm. you know, every time we do this, uh, mm-hmm. there is a sort of sweet spot for game complexity throughout mm-hmm. the day and it's steadily mm-hmm. like you know by seven o'clock you need to be sort of entering your terminal phase on a game right. because it mm-hmm. just gets harder yeah um this makes it very easy to pick up and put down and i will also say this if you have a bad game like i was tempted i was i was torn between saying we should record our show mm-hmm. or we should start a new scenario mm-hmm. and just play again because like mm-hmm. If things don't go well in a Panzer Blitz scenario, I think a lot of other war games with setup time and investment in yeah. ma- mastering mm-hmm. the rules, if you have a shitty scenario and it just doesn't mm-hmm. play out well, it's very yeah. disappointing because you have all that setup time flushed down the right. toilet and you took right. like four hours making those first two moves mm-hmm. and it all just fell apart. Panzer Blitz, it's very forgiving of like, hey, all right, well, you, you got blown up yeah. uh, on that one. Let's do it again. Yeah, I agree. I, I think it's, I mean, I, I would love to have next time you're over here, we, we will definitely sit down and, uh, you know, we'll have a, you know, we'll start pouring the scotch and we will uh, start playing the Panzer Blitz because that is the, uh, it, it's, I mean, it's really a beer and pretzels game now that at the time 
definitely was not right. I mean, it was it was it was a game that had some level of felt to have some level of complexity to it. Right now, of course, I mean, 1970 Panzer Blitz, uh, 1974 Drangenach Austin. Um, you know, it went from this type of game to you know, GDW puts out a game that you know takes up an entire. Uh, you know, I've got an eight foot by four foot table uh, downstairs and that table is completely taken up by Drynock Austin and you've got, you know, 2000 counters. And here we had what per side, we probably had 40. So, um, I mean, Wargaming really did crank up very fast. Um, There was sort of this long incubation period, I feel, uh, where um, the... Avalon Hill type games uh, sort of had this plateau and then all of a sudden things just exponentially shot to the moon. Um, but this holds up a lot better than I thought it ever would. I, I really, I have such fond memories of this game with a, with a couple friends of mine, interestingly, both named Tom, um, not Tom Chick. I met Tom Chick much later, but when I was a, uh, when I was a kid, uh, two friends, two different friends named Tom, and uh, we each played Panzer Blitz um, against each other. We they know we the three of us never played. I don't know why, uh, but uh, all of those sessions were. Incri- I still remember them. I still remember. You know, you take the box out, and and at that time, I think we the best storage mechanism we had. Uh, we were so happy when our mothers uh, let us have some plastic sandwich bags. Otherwise, this stuff was just, you know, the bottom of the box. And you dump it out and you sort it out, uh, set it up and play. And and we took it very seriously in the sense of, you know, we didn't we didn't ask too many questions about the actual historical accuracy of whether you could do this or this is how these units behave. We just took it on faith that the Avalon Hill Game Company, well, they know what they're doing. <laughs> They wouldn't they wouldn't release this into the world if it hadn't uh, been approved by the general staff. That's right. Uh, By the by the armored warfare uh, uh, instructors. Of course not. They wouldn't let bad info get out into the wild. Yeah. Um, You know, I will say uh, so. So two things. Uh, One, a very funny thing for me is that reading the designer notes, there's also an excerpt on just background on the uh, front. And I think I've tended to think, okay, well, 70s war game that had to be fully bought into Wehrmacht mythology and such. Contents of the Panzer Blitz box are very much like pro Red Army. Like those it's it's surprising the degree to which the scenario notes are like, mm-hmm. those guys fucking rocked. Mm-hmm. Um and it's it, it is just funny the degree to which um this seems to reflect a very different war game culture than I encountered like in the nineties where mm-hmm. it was all very much like fully now buying the notion of like small elite hardened core of mm-hmm. like German super soldiers mm-hmm. taking on hordes of, uh, you know, Soviet or American troops and equipment and just, you know, with their sheer, uh, unbreakability and mm-hmm. uh, proficiency, just like, mm-hmm. you know, taking them all on. And it was striking to see a rule book from this time, basically making an argument that um, I think anticipates a lot of um, discussions we have today about like maybe, you know, the Blitzkrieg myth, mm-hmm. um, the overrating of German tactical prowess mm-hmm. and, and things like this. Um and it was surprising encountering that because certainly by the time I was playing war games, uh, like on PC in the nineties, I think Bill Trotter is writing a column about like, why do all these things feel like they're just about how fucking cool is the Wehrmacht? Like mm-hmm. all games from this era, yeah. uh, feel this way. I mean, um, PC games. Yeah. Yeah. Because PC, I mean, cause there is a different, cause, cause that's a different, uh, you know, that, that hobby had its own sort of, uh, teething problems and shake out of its sort of assumptions. And, and I don't, I think that, um, you know, one of the things about war game design, this, I mean, this game was designed by Jim Donegan, who, um, I mean, he had his, you know, particular perspective and I'm not, he's not some kind of, uh, all knowing, all powerful game designer, but I think Jim Donegan was at least a thoughtful person who, 
tried to really, he was a very quantitative guy. And I think he, I think he actually ended up, uh, once he left SPI, you know, once SPI was basically went under essentially, um, I think Jim Dunnigan went and made a lot of money in, uh, he was, I think he was, uh, in, in uh, I think he was in a, a quantitative investor. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. I think he was, uh, he basically, I think he was a pretty, pretty mathematical quantitative show me the numbers guy. And then that, you know, he took that to an extreme when, uh, in some of, uh, I remember one of his, you know, complete handbook of war games, he basically essentially stated that, you know, all you need to do to make a war game is you need to find the terrain, then you need to find the forces that were in play, and then you need to quantitate their, you know, factors, and then just basically put them on counters and cut them out. And then that there's your game. You, I mean, you have it. It's, 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 uh, this is basically <laughs> what his designers notes say about the development of this game where there's a, you know, I, I don't know what the guy was like, but there's certainly a, um, almost cigar chomping quality to his designer mm-hmm. notes where well, he's, he's per- like, don't worry about the math kid. I got you covered. There's yeah, tons well, of math all behind this. It's very simplified, but there's models. Well, he's, he's, he's famous for his cigar chomping literally. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean that, that was, that was his approach to game design. And I, I mean, I, I'm, I have a very soft spot for this game, uh, much more so actually than it's, than it's, uh, successor Panzer leader, which I think Panzer leader, um, by the time that I got around to Panzer Blitz, it pa- and Panzer Leader, and I think maybe even Arab, I think Arab Israeli Wars was 77. Can't remember. Uh, it was after the 73 war because there were 73 war scenarios in it. Um, but those games sort of started ramping up. Panzer Leader especially was a much more complicated game than Panzer Blitz. Panzer Leader had an actual rule book. Uh, Panzer Blitz, as you know, has more of a rule fold out, uh, yes. which was very much the the style at that time. Uh, I'm I'm not sure if it was a printing issue. I have no idea what the what the I, what the. I'm sure what somebody from that time could could explain exactly why so many uh, games had just had large folded well, pieces of paper. Avalon uh, Hill's origin story is partly as a a print shop, right? To an extent, like they just well, had Avalon easy Hills, access to Avalon Hills. Avalon Hill was, was, uh, I think, well, Monarch Avalon was, was literally a printing company. Yeah. Right. I mean, and, and that's, they had a lot of, I mean, so, they did a lot of business as a printing company. I imagine uh, there were a lot of machines right. where you could just have them reeling off large format things, whereas, right. you know, booklet format was probably less, um, probably less, viable. less cost effective, right? Because you yep. had to print the individual pages and then staple them. Yeah. So, uh, but this is, this is really a game that, uh, I thought at the time was, <laughs> was a perfect game for a bunch of 12 year olds. Uh, we could, we could grok these rules. The Panzer leader rules were, got a little complicated for us. Um, but, uh, but I'm, I'm not surprised that the Panzer Blitz two has not caught on. I mean, I mean, MMP made some, uh, you know, attempt to, to redo the game and, uh, and take a little bit of the gaminess out. Now, I don't know why you'd want to do that rather than just play a different game. So I think the, the last question I wanted to ask, and we've been touching on it a little bit. It seems like you've been surprised by how fondly you, this, this revisit of the mm-hmm. game has gone. I've been surprised how, how much I've enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. What is strange to me is that I only really was curious about this game because I saw it listed in terms of, if you look up like lists of games history by year, like mm-hmm. war games are pretty sparse on mm-hmm. the ground back in mm-hmm. the late 60s, early 70s. And here's mm-hmm. Panzer Blitz. It looked kind of like a uh, squad leader, but mm-hmm. it is not a game that I encounter a lot of people waxing nostalgic about. It is a game that mm. um, maybe it's a generational issue, but it just does yeah. not seem to have... <laughs> Uh, the, I, I hate to use a marketing term, but it doesn't seem to have the mind share that a lot of later Avalon Hill games have, where you will still encounter, uh, people who are very, uh, rose tinted about oh. games like squad leader and third Reich Panzer Blitz doesn't seem to have that core of people sort of keeping its memory alive, but I'm sitting here and I'm like, but it's a lot of fun still. And I think there's a lot of games that you know, superseded it uh, mm-hmm. in the popular memory of war games that are probably not as fun. Um, 
Well, I think that's a generational thing. I think that there are, <clears throat> that's my impression. I mean, I think I could find, I mean, I think if you, the, the number of people who played this game, I mean, I think everybody who played games at this time played this game. I mean, like you said, there weren't a lot of other games. Panzer Blitz was huge. There were so many articles devoted to it in the general. Um, I just can't imagine that. Uh, I think you're just, I, I think this, the only answer I have to your, your observation is that I think it may be artifactual. I hung out and I hung out with eighties and nineties kids and or, not 70s or something. Kids. Yeah. You just, yeah. I mean, there are tons of older uh, people who, um, who've played that the heck out of this game. And I just think you're just not getting there. I mean, yeah. you're just not, you're not hearing from these people uh, because those people are definitely there. Interesting. Uh, so yeah. Uh, overall, I have to say this was a really pleasant surprise. Like I really did think this was going to be a, historical curiosity satisfying mm -hmm. expedition into the past, mm -hmm. but I didn't actually expect to enjoy the game that much. Hmm. Um, I'm glad and yet here I am at the end of this saying, hey, you know, next time we, next time we hang out after we've mm -hmm. played our serious our more serious games for the evening, mm -hmm. um, I look forward to a rematch in Panzer yep. Blitz and we can, mm -hmm. we can try uh, that different scenario setup because we, even in the scenario car that we were looking at, mm -hmm. we were sitting there being like, there's different ways to interpret this. Mm -hmm. And yep. And I am sure that probably somewhere there's a codified house rule about this. I don't know. Maybe. Um, but yeah, uh, I am. I am intrigued to revisit this. Uh, it has been. It is a much more enjoyable game than I expected it to be. Uh, Excellent. So that that is that is 1970s Panzer Blitz. Mm -hmm. uh, that ends our trip into the mists of uh, Avalon Hill history. Uh, this episode was produced by Liana Hafer, who is the head is hosted on the Owl Thumbs Network. You can learn more about the show and discuss this episode with our community at threemovesahead.net or follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash threemay. Finally, Three Moves Ahead is supported by listeners just like you on Patreon. Uh, speaking of which, we revamped the Patreon. Uh, as I mentioned last time, I wrote a long post explaining the changes, uh, but the basic idea is the Patreon just makes a little more sense and dovetails a little more closely with what we want to be doing. So uh, I think I, I think there's never been a better time to hop on that bandwagon. Um, and at some point, we will have another Q&A episode uh, for backers of that tier. Uh, and we also still have our Discord server. Uh, and a little games club uh, that, that meets uh, at least once a week. Um, so you can check all of that out at patreon.com slash 3MA. We'll be back next week with another episode of Three Moves Ahead. Until then, for Bruce, this is Rob Zachney saying goodnight.